0: Both on and off the field, here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General John McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey
1: everybody, welcome in. It is the Utopia Football Podcast. Sean Pendergast alongside John McClain. Of course, I'm one half of Payne and Pendergast mornings on Sports Radio 610. John McClain, of course, is a Hall of Famer and our senior columnist at Sports Radio 610. And we are just a few hours removed from the Texans. 31-20 loss to the Indianapolis Colts in the home opener for the D'Amico Ryans era. Just an all-around disappointing effort from the Texans today uh, in which they fell behind very early in this game and never were even at a point where they were remotely close to taking control of this football game in a game that they were favored coming into this game. By one point, we're here to break it all down for you. General thoughts on the loss today, and then we'll do four stock up, four stock down, and get you ready for the upcoming week here on the Utopia Football Podcast. But, John, as I welcome you in here, um, just a – I mean, really from very early on in this game, just a – to me, a completely disappointing, depressing performance from the Texans. And my biggest theme here is the honeymoon is now over for D'Amico Ryans and this coaching staff after that effort today. And really the cumulative – summary of these first two weeks of the season where the Texans lose by 16 last week to Baltimore and then 11 by 11 at home today in a game where they trailed 28 to 10 at the half to a team the Colts that are largely viewed as a team that's in the bottom quartile of the league just the I think just so many things inexcusable about this loss today
2: as long as they have an offensive line is the franchise history They're not just playing backups. They're playing third and fourth stringers, guys that are lucky to be in the NFL. They're not going to be able to run the ball. They're not going to be able to protect C.J. Stroud, who I thought was phenomenal under those circumstances, and it's going to be ugly. To me, you know, I don't expect them to run when the offensive lines were What I expect them to do is play good defense, stop the run, which they did against the Ravens. And today, I think they had solved Anthony Richardson's passing after he scored, you know, he had a 15-yard series. So you can't hold that against the defense after a strip, not a strip sack, but Stroud fumbled when he was sacked. Well, I guess that would be a strip sack. Anyway, he fumbled, and it was a 15-yard drive, but then they gave up three touchdown drives of 75, 76, and 75 yards, and that is inexcusable and not acceptable. And I think if Gardner Minshew, an experienced quarterback, hadn't come in and just – he was so accurate. He got rid of the ball so quick. I think they would have had a chance, but your defense can't play that bad. No sacks, no tackles for loss. The Colts had six sacks, 10 tackles for loss, nine quarterback hits. Texans only hit Richardson and Minchu one time. And it was such a disappointing performance by the defense that showed so much promise. In that loss to the Ravens,
1: yeah, I um I had said John in the pregame, and I said it during the week too, and I can't believe it came to fruition. But I I was actually you know as the as we were talking about the strategy throughout the week, being man, you got to hit Anthony Richardson, you got to hit him, you got to hit him every chance you get, you got to hit him. And I just got to thinking about, okay, what if we hit him so much he does get knocked out of the game? And I thought to myself, you know, I think there's a chance that in week two of Anthony Richardson's rookie season, that Gardner Minshew actually gives the Colts a better chance to win this football game than Anthony Richardson does. Now, I know Anthony Richardson had the two touchdown runs. I'll be honest with you. I feel like as poorly played and with as such low energy as the Texans were playing on those two plays, he was untouched until the very, very last yard of the second touchdown run. He was touched by nobody. On those two touchdown runs, I feel like there's about 25 quarterbacks that could have run those in, um, based on the energy level of the Texans defense. But my concern was, man, if you knock Anthony Richardson out of this game, I think Minshew might come in and actually do, make some throws that Richardson at this stage of his career cannot make. And that's actually what happened, John. You know, you I think you nailed it. They had they had figured they had kind of figured some things out with Anthony Richardson after that first drive, that long drive, that 75 yard drive that Richardson led them on that first touchdown. There was not a lot of good on that drive, and Anthony Richardson was able to convert some third downs and get a touchdown. The one play for 15 yards after the turnover, that's not really a drive that you're gleaning any big-picture stuff from. That was just a sudden change that the Colts called the right play on. Those next two series, they went three and out both times, and I thought that they had kind of figured some things out. And then in comes Minshew, and he goes touchdown, touchdown, field goal. On those three drives, and to me, John, it wasn't just Minshew with the short passing game. Yes, the the run defense was against the, the conventional run defense last week against Baltimore, not the Lamar Jackson run defense, but against the Dobbinses and the Hills and the Gus Edwards of the world was, was actually very good statistically. Zach Moss, during those three drives, those three Gardner-Minshew drives, I wrote it down, John, he had seven carries for 51 yards And he was just churning out yardage. He was getting six yards, six yards, seven yards, 11 yards, five, six, 10. He didn't have a single carry that was under five yards. That really helped Gardner Minshew be able to operate because he's in second and five and second and three and third and two. And and so any chance to put pressure on Gardner Minshew in that situation was, was a moot point because he's just, boom, he's getting the ball out quick. There was the one huge mistake that the Texans made in coverage on that Mallory guy where he Minshew found him for 43 yards that completely flipped the field. So that was – I thought thought Richardson getting knocked out of the game today actually ended up being a detriment to the Texans because Minshew came in and just did exactly what the Colts needed from him.
2: Uh, You mentioned about the yards that he was getting. A lot of that just showed how they're getting blown off the ball. Yeah. When you have no tackles for loss, out of your lineman or anybody on your front seven, that's embarrassing. And especially when the Colts showed what happens when you hammer an offensive line. You get tackles for loss, you get sacks, and you get hits on the quarterback, and the Texans got none of that against the Colts' offensive line. I bet Chris Strasser, the new line coach for the Texans, wish he's back in Indy. where no he has Nelson and Smith and Kelly healthy. Kelly went out in the game, I think, in the fourth quarter the center, Ryan Kelly. Yeah. But it is amazing to me, Sean, no matter what the Texans have tried, investing in draft choices, free agents, trades, money, everything, and they still – coaches, they still can't get their offensive line right, but at least they got excuses now, which are debilitating injuries. Uh, Laramie Tunsil is supposed to be back for the Jacksonville game. And then uh, Titus Howard and Juice Scruggs are supposed to be back after four weeks off injured reserve. And then the question is who will play left guard? And I'm guessing it ain't going to be Josh Jones because he's been terrible. And a guy to keep an eye on is Jared Patterson because he was a guard before he was moved to center. And I think he's done a good job at center for he's the third center they've had. And you don't see him getting steamrolled or committing stupid penalties like Josh Jones. So, and that whoever they put at left guard, and I'm sure it ain't gonna be Ken, Kendrick Green who made his start there today. But uh, I, I can't wait to see, but it won't surprise me if it's not Patterson.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.
1: Yeah. I Patterson is certainly, if, if the goal is to get your five best guys out there, you know, unless, until they get everybody, everybody back, Patterson might be one of their five best guys, even once they get Titus Howard back and, and other solutions on the interior there. And and obviously Laramie's going to be your left tackle when he's healthy. So he doesn't factor into a, got to get our best five out there. When he's out there, he's left tackle and you figure out the other four spots, I suppose. Um, but I and we're gonna get into four stock up and four stock down in a second. Some of it might end up being redundant because you and I are kind of laying out the recap of this thing. But John, my 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 uh overall theme coming into the post-game show today and coming into this podcast, the honeymoon's over now for D'Amico Ryan's. You know, we it's an 0-2 start. This was an extremely winnable game in terms of the opponent. This was an energy level that we'd not seen at NRG Stadium in a long, long time, starting out in the parking lot with people tailgating very early today. We haven't seen that since before COVID, honestly. Um, and and so, so people are wanting to buy in. They're wanting to believe the game. I don't know if the game was technically a sellout it was a bit of a late arriving crowd, but not as late arriving as we've seen the last couple of years. And by the time the f- end of the first quarter, early second quarter rolled around, it was loud at times in there. Like it was this is a crowd that was trying to get back into this thing. and the Texans gave them, other than CJ Stroud and Nico Collins, they gave them almost no reasons. And between the defense coming out looking unenergetic and confused against Anthony Richardson, And and not putting pressure on the passer, as you said. And then John, offensively, yeah, I know they've got a lot of injuries along the offensive line. I know they do, but Bobby Slowick does not have to keep calling running plays up the middle down 21 in the third quarter. John, they burned seven minutes and 20 seconds off the clock to kick a field goal to make it 31 to 13 early in the fourth quarter. That's inexcusable. Those are things the Bobby Slowick can't control. The injuries, but he can't control his decision making. And identifying at a time in the game where you are desperate for points. It's 31 to 10, and the clock is against you now. You, we've been able to figure out seven quarters into the season kind of what this team does. I'll say, well, I don't know if they do anything well, but we, we've been able to figure out what they do better than other things. And one of the things they cannot do is run the football. Damian Pierce gets hit before, like at the line of scrimmage on virtually every single time he gets handed the football, that they were still handing the ball off in the middle of the third quarter and and running it for one yard at second and nine. And then it's third and seven. And now you're asking a rookie quarterback on third and seven an obvious passing down to convert third downs. And you know what CJ Stroud did. He was nine of 19 on third down today. Bobby Sloak's play calling is inexcusable to me, John. Like as far, I'm, I am completely unimpressed with Bobby Sloak at this point. And again, I know the injuries are not his fault, but, his decision-making stinks as far as I'm concerned, as far as the play calling goes, as far as knowing what the situation is. He is, as the offensive coordinator, he is responsible for the lack of urgency of this team getting in and out of the huddle, as is CJ, as are probably a few of the other leaders on this team. There were way too many times, John, today, way too many times that they're down by three touchdowns and and they're running the play clock down to four seconds and three seconds because they can't get a play in or they can't get the playoff, that's Bobby Slowick's responsibility. As far as I'm concerned, he is just some dude that worked for Kyle Shanahan at this point. There's nothing that impresses me about Bobby Slowick so far.
2: Man, did you just waste a stock down.
1: I, I needed that though, John. I need you. And if you want to, if you want to add to it, better, if you want to add you. to it and stock down. But John, I do feel better. I needed to get that off my chest because I am just unimpressed with Bobby
2: Slowick so far. Well, good. That would have made a good stock down. But there's plenty to go around.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is true. We don't have to worry. The buffet is full. All right. So I got that off my chest, John. Along those lines, we'll get the stock up and stock down in a second. Uh, you look around this division now, and the Texans are the only team without a win. Colts won today, obviously, over the Texans. The Titans got a big upset win over the Chargers at home. And the Jacksonville Jaguars lost in a an uncharacteristic defensive struggle in Kansas City today. So you look around the AFC South, and uh the, the tide is already uh, the, the tidal wave is already burying the Texans early in the season, John.
2: They're right where they're supposed to be in last place. That's yeah. what they're accustomed to being in last place. And right now, I don't see them beating the Steelers. I don't see them beating the Jacksonville. Jaguars, can you imagine when Watt and Highsmith come in here? Two great pass rushers, and they're it's the last game before you come off IR and mm-hmm. they're going against Josh Jones and George Fant. Mm-hmm. Oh my God.
1: Yeah, brutal. Absolutely. They'll be handing the
2: ball to Damian Pierce for third and one. I mean, for a lot of one yard runs just to keep Stroud from getting creamed. Yeah. Well, John, and
1: the, look, the, you just mentioned the first four games. The next four games are all those NFC South teams that looked easy before the year. And, look, it's only two games, so I'm not going to get too over the moon about it. Atlanta, 2-0. and o, They played them in week five, the week after the Steeler game. They, Atlanta's 2-0 and o right now, and they're running the football down people's throats. They, they're 2-0, and o, and it ain't because of Desmond Ritter. Bijan Robinson had 100-something and something yards today. You know, they've got Tyler Algier who can run the football, too. And Tampa Bay, John Baker, old Baker Mayfield has Tampa Bay. Now, granted, you know it's uh, the you know the Vikings win was a nice win. They beat the Bears today. Nobody's throwing a parade for that. But those are two teams that I think you look at the schedule before the season. You go, yeah, oh, those are winnable games right there. Yeah, they're both two and zero to start the
2: season now. Right now, they don't have any winnable, but they do have a legitimate franchise quarterback.
1: So let's start there, John. That's a great segue by you into four stocks up and four stock down. And I'm going to give you the floor, and I think you know where to go with this one.
2: Stroud, I thought, under the circumstances of having a sore shoulder, that they put him on the injury report Friday. And they worried that he might not play. didn't throw the ball the last two days and then they determined last night after treatment that he was going to go through for almost 400 yards, no interceptions, sacked six times, hit nine times for a defense that had 10 tackles for loss. I was so impressed. Had a touchdown call back, and uh, he was, I just, I thought he was fabulous, and I think that everything we saw from him today, guts, heart, poise, even though he was getting hammered, I thought was tremendous. he has now broken a record of completions in the first two games for a rookie broke justin without an interception broke no, that wasn't counting interception broke Justin herbert's record, and he's also he's almost up to closing in on a hundred passes without an interception and uh, I thought he was just tremendous.
1: I think he's i I think he's looked really good um you know, look, if this is what the offense is going to be doing for the next two or three years, they're not going to win many football games. So even CJ admits like, got to be better in the red zone. Got to be better at time situationally. He knows that, but for what he's being asked to do behind that offensive line, apparently with a shoulder injury now that popped up on the injury report this week. And I know he talked about that a little bit in the post-game press conference today that he was dealing with some, some pain in his shoulder. Um, I'm super impressed. John, I'm just I'm I, like I'm overall impressed. I'm impressed with the level of play on the field. I'm impressed with how he handles himself off the field as well. And I think once this offensive line gets healthy, knock on wood, if it ever gets healthy, the one thing that we have seen from CJ Stroud, when he has time to throw, he deals. When he has even the slightest bit of time, like he's doing he's making some of these completions with very muddy pockets, very messy pockets, a lot of hands and limbs flailing around in there. And he's able to deliver the ball on time. Some of these throws he makes, boy, that throw he made, John, in the first half on third down to Robert Woods, it was they had converted a third and three to Nico. It got called back because Josh Jones lined up illegally, illegal formation. So then it's third and eight. And CJ made a throw, John, from the right hash all the way across, like dropped it in a bucket along the, the near sideline to where the press box is. That was like, a, I mean, they're, you had to, it's like throwing it into a hole at the circus from, uh, you know, from, from 50 yards away, like across the field, some of the balls he throws are so impressive. And you're right. Like of all the things here, like, look, if I'm looking to come away, if somebody had told me, man, things are going to be ragged all over the place and all these guys are going to be injured and they're going to be Oh, and two, and they're going to lose by double digits. But you're going to come away feeling like with CJ Shroud, you got your guy at quarterback. Overall, I probably would have signed up for that just because of how important that position is moving forward.
2: As long as you got your quarterback, you can build around everything else. The Texans do not need a quarterback unless he gets killed.
1: Yeah, unless, right, yes, unless he gets killed. Um, easy stock up for me, John. My first one off of that is Nico Collins. We had Nico on the post game show today. And, um, and look, he said he'd have given all 146 yards back if they could have won the game today. Um, the fact of the matter is Nico Collins through these first two weeks of the season has put up two of his best three games in his entire career so far. I don't know what the total number of games is he's played. He's missed a lot of games, obviously with injury, call it 20, 20, 22 games. Now his best game before the season started was an 82 yard game against the chargers last year at home he's now put up 80 yards last week 146 yards this week and I just love that he's doing it so many different ways John you know and it's not one big huge chunk play where or two big chunk plays where that's getting all the yardage and the rest are little dinks and dunks he's become CJ's go-to guy in key situations he's unstoppable on that slant route where CJ gets it out fast and and then his ability to do things after the catch because he's so big and strong he's always going to be able to muscle out another four or five yards. That's what makes, that's what to me makes him so dangerous when you're using that play on, on say third and eight or third and nine. If you hit him on that slant about five or six yards past the line of scrimmage, you can almost count on him because he's so big and physical and moving at such a high rate of speed. You can almost count on him getting two or three extra yards every time after the catch. Super impressed with Nico Collins so far in his development in year three.
2: He's averaging 17.9 yards a catch in those two games and haven't even thrown a deep ball down the sideline yep. where he catches it and goes the distance. But you know that's coming. The problem is that takes a couple of steps back where you actually have some protection, but too yeah. much stride. And what I like is he's taking one step drops and firing the ball immediately and hitting Nico in stride. Yeah. And then especially over the middle in traffic, Nico can break, break, uh, pass, break tackles. And he averaged over 20 yards today.
1: All right, what's your next stock up, John?
2: My next stop up, Tank Dell. Tank, uh don't know why they don't use him all the time in punt returns. I have one for 13. Then he had a touchdown catch, in which he put a really good move on a corner to score. Then he had a touchdown catch that was called back because Josh Jones, the left tackle, he didn't know how to line up to wipe out a first down, even though he's third year in the NFL. And then he tackled the pass rusher. I saw it, flag came out. I knew what it was immediately. Tank would have had two touchdowns, right in his second game of the of the season. And the coaches, he had seven catches more and more. Co- the coaches are getting more and more confidence in him because you haven't seen him drop one, you haven't seen him run a stupid route. But uh, they got to feel good about where Tank Dell is uh, playing opposite Nico Collins.
1: Yep, he had a nice punt return today too. He, you know, so he impacts the special teams as well. That looks like. That looks like a really good draft. This rookie class so far, John, if they can stay healthy. You know, Juice Scruggs was on track to to start. Henry Toa Toa gets out there quite a bit for them as a rookie. Jared Patterson's been a nice surprise as a as a rookie for them. This rookie class so far, like knock on wood, looks looks to be very, very solid, I
2: would say, so far.
1: Sure um, does.
2: And Nick serio has got to take a bow for that.
1: Yeah. Um, so that's, so your stock up is tank Dell. My last one, John, a guy who was in there in kind of pinch hitting duty today. And right now he's the only healthy safety that they broke camp with (laughs) is MJ Stewart right now. Jalen Petrie and Jimmy Ward are both technically, they're both still out with injuries. They missed today. And Eric Murray left the game today with a concussion. So MJ Stewart was your top ranked healthy safety. Once Murray went out, led the team in tackles today with 10. Almost had an early turnover in the game today where he punched the ball out from Michael Pittman's hands on one of the very first plays. I think it might have been the first play from scrimmage for the um for the Indianapolis Colts. Eric Murray almost recovered it inbounds, just missed getting a knee down. But MJ Stewart making things happen. He had the hit on Anthony Richardson that I think ultimately that's the play that concussed him and knocked him out of the game. And he had a few other plays too in those 10 tackles that were meaningful tackles. There was a, you know, there was a play. I can't remember which. Colt caught it, but it was third and four, and it looked like he was going to get a catch and run for a first down. M.J. Stewart was able to bring him to the ground and force a force a, a fourth down. So um, M.J. Stewart has done a very nice job in replacing Jimmy Ward and Jalen Petrie so
2: far. Yes, he has.
1: Yep. All right, let's do some stock downs then, John. Who is your first stock down for the uh, for the game today?
2: Josh Jones. Josh Jones from U of H. They acquired him from the Cardinals. Everybody thought, well, the Cardinals are tanking. They want to get rid of their players. Well, they got rid of him for a reason. You know, he comes in here, and I've never liked it when you move players around, rookies, veterans. They need one position. They need to learn the system, get used to the coaching, the quarterback. But he came in. He played left guard. Then he had to move to right tackle when George Fant got hurt in the first game. Then he had to play left tackle. He gave up – he had two penalties. That's four in two weeks. His penalties against the Colts wiped out a touchdown and a first down, and he gave up two sacks, if I can remember correctly. And uh, they need Laramie Tunsell back, and they got Fan at right tackle. And I don't know if they're going to put him at left guard against Jacksonville, but he is really struggling. It's inexcusable to line up wrong. Dumbest for dumbest call is defensive lineman in the neutral zone and an offensive lineman or any offensive player not lining up when all they got to do is look at the ball. That's what he did. And uh, it cost them.
1: John, and this was a week where the league told the 32 teams, we are cracking down on this. He got called for what everybody was complaining about with Jawan Taylor after the Thursday night game in week one, where, you know, Jawan Taylor's lining up. Collinsworth was joking and it looked like he was lining up as a slot receiver because he was so <laughs> far off of the line of scrimmage. They, they sent, reportedly, they sent a th- a tape you know they send a tape around all 32 teams with things that they're going to be you know points of emphasis and things they should be watching out for uh, officiating wise and things like that and this was the thing that was in the video this week so it's it's inexcusable anytime you're right it's especially inexcusable this week when you know that officiating staffs across the league are cracking down on this on tackles so i'm i'm with you on that josh jones absolutely 100% deserves it i you know what john i'm just going to go straight to the top here Stock down on D'Amico Ryans today. You know, he's he is he has come out in these first two games and, you know, losing in Baltimore. There's no crime in that. But you lose by 16 points and uh, and, and and it's kind of a downer. This one was a major downer. This was one where, man, people are so ready to back this team again. Uh, and you come out and you look, the team was unprepared. They didn't look ready to play, John. They didn't look ready to play. They didn't look ready to defend Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson ran for 35 yards on those two touchdown runs, and nobody touched him until the last yard of the second touchdown. By the way, that's the hit that we talked about with MJ Stewart. Yeah. If I'm a Colts that fan, I'm,
2: concussion.
1: I'm super if I'm a Colts fan, that's a whole separate thing. This is a Texans podcast, not a Colts podcast. If I'm a Colts fan, I'm very nervous right now about the fact that Anthony Richardson has been TKO'd in two games so far. That is a that is a big concern, but that's not our concern. That's theirs. Um, but there's no way to sugarcoat it. This is a team that did not come out ready to play today against an opponent that was ripe to be beaten today here at NRG Stadium with the energy in that crowd. And they they took all the energy out of the building early in this game. And for that I don't care about the injuries. You know who doesn't care about the injuries? And he said it every press conference since they started piling up, D'Amico Ryans. He's not making any excuses, so I can't make any excuses for him. His team came out unprepared and with no energy today, and that falls at the feet of the head coach.
2: I, I agree with you 100%. And my, my next one is going to be one that I bet you haven't thought of. First of all, it could be the entire offensive line. Six sacks given up, five by the defensive lineman. Yeah. I could do them. I could do the running game. But instead, I'm going stock down with offensive coordinator Bobby Slowick. Are you surprised? You probably <laughs> no. think he did a good job, huh? <laughs> you don't Rewind. need to run anymore. Rewind. Everything Rewind. you said earlier about Bobby's play calling when they were behind, trying to run the ball Against a white's like the proverbial banging your head against a brick wall. Yeah. I know you people, coaches always say, Well, you got to try. Well, when you're losing and your strength is in the passing game and the receivers are playing well and the quarterback's playing well, I know you don't want to get him killed, but sometimes you got to go with what's your strength. And that was definitely the passing game, not the running game. So I'm with you on Bobby Sloak as well.
1: Yeah. It's just bad. It's like, I, I there's, the, it's, it's, that's really, discouraging to me, John, like that, that I'm, I'm told that Bobby Sloak is this savant and maybe he is, maybe there's some things he wants to do in terms of play design and stuff like that, that he just can't do right now because of the personnel that he's got out there. I'm totally sympathetic to that. It is a very simple decision to take a look at things six and a half quarters into a season, two and a half quarters into a game where you're trailing by three touchdowns and you cannot run the football And say, okay, we got to figure out something that a we do well, and b doesn't burn forty-five seconds worth of clock on every play. That's the that's the big. There were so many times in this game in the second half, John, where I I would look at Clint Sterner or Ron Hughley or Seth Payne, whoever's sitting next to me, and I would go, "They have spent two minutes and fifteen seconds moving the ball twelve yards." You know, like they 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 are the equivalent. Whereas all these other offenses, the equivalent of actually driving a car fast on the highway the Texans are walking places <laughs> like they're, they're choosing, they, they need to drive 75 yards. That's the equivalent of driving, you know, call it like from where I live to the stadium. It's a good 15 minute drive. They're choosing to walk to these places. I've walked it before. It's not fun, especially in the summer. Um, so that's the thing to me, like the conscious decision-making that just makes no sense. It's dumb. Honestly, it's just that <laughs> The seven minute and twenty second drive for a field goal. I was ready to. I was ready to strangle somebody. It was. That was bad. That was. Uh, I. I just. I, I, I. I'm so down on Bobby Sloick right now. The more I talk about it, the more down I get. So I guess I better get to this last. All stock right, down.
2: go to the next one.
1: Last stock down, John. Mine is Malik Collins. Malik Collins, according to Pro Football Focus, was coming into this game as the worst interior defensive lineman in the sport. 127th out of 127. Ooh. I don't know. That, yeah, I don't know that that matched my eye test for the Ravens game. I thought the interior of the defensive line. Admittedly, I'm that is one area of the field that I'm not watching every number on every play. I'm just hoping that the Texans stop the run as a, collectively as a unit. Um, but Malik Collins, by the by the, the the Pro Football Focus scores, was literally the worst interior defensive lineman in all of football in week one of the season, Sheldon Rankins was the fifth worst. He was 122nd out of 127 or six. They
2: stop anything against the Ravens.
1: That's what, that's why I don't buy totally into that score, but I'm going to tell you today, Malik Collins was a guy where I'm going, okay, I, I, I have not, he had one tackle today, John, like one, he had one tackle and Zach Moss had so many carries where he just kind of slithered past the defensive line and was able to get seven yards or eight yards. Um, I could probably make it an interior defensive line thing as much as anything. Malik Collins is the highest paid one out of all of them, though, so he gets the brunt of it. Heavy is the head that carries the big bag home at night, John, and that is Malik Collins. Stock down to Malik Collins and the entire interior of the Texans' defensive line. Inexcusable performance today.
2: We could go with anybody except Stroud and his receivers. Those are the ones that I think deserve praise.
1: Yep. I would agree. I, I would. I would absolutely agree. And, and you know what? Who who else gets thrown in there? Will Anderson. I know he had the only QB hit. It's on the very first play of the game. Not
2: enough.
1: Not enough. Yeah, not enough. So Will Anderson. We we did not hear fifty one much today at all while the game, uh, still still mattered. So there you go. It was,
2: go. A, it was a great coaching job by Shane Steichen and his defensive really coaches. They did. They just threw a net over everything the Texans did well, and the Texans couldn't adjust to anything and let Stroud bail them out.
1: And even, John, even as – I'll go back to my D'Amico Ryan stock down. Shane Steichen did the little thing where he had the punt team out there and jogged them off at the last second, brought the offense out, and forced D'Amico to burn a timeout uh, in the second half. You know, a timeout that – that if Kaimi Fairbairn had made that field goal to make it a one-score game, a timeout that would have come in – I mean, would have come in awfully handy either way, um, but a timeout that would have come in handy. Shane Steichen, who, by the way, himself is only coaching his second game in the NFL, as a head coach, he chess moved D'Amico Ryan's out of a timeout there. I thought it was brilliant. It worked. So, there you go. All right, I got to take a deep breath, John. These, this, these, ty- this is week two. <laughs> this is week two, and they Some got Jacksonville something week
2: seventeen.
1: What do you think the line's going to be on the Jacksonville game, John? You think the Texans are are underdogs I mean, by more than a touchdown?
2: I think yeah. I think it'll be somewhere like it was with the Ravens, somewhere instead of ten. I think it'll be like eight or nine.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. Somewhere between seven and ten. Well, know tonight I get those emails. I'll let you know. I'll text you when I find out what Please it is. Do. I'll tweet it. I'll tweet it too. Uh, at Sean T. Pendergast. If you're watching on video, you can see it right there. At McLean underscore on underscore NFL is where you can get John on social media as well. John, uh, I would imagine you got report cards and recaps and all kinds of things going
2: on. I got a report card, and it's a an, uh, is an ugly report card with a lot of Fs. And then I'm writing a column about CJ Stroud that'll be on sports radio six ten either tonight or in the morning.
1: CJ did not get an F, I'm assuming on this game. No, he
2: did not. I gave him I gave him an A.
1: And did you? Okay, look at you. He gave CJ Stroud an A. Okay. There's there's no there's very little in between with you, John McClain you're 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 one end or the other on a lot of this stuff i
2: think sometimes i give f minuses and i like i couldn't <laughs> give an, i couldn't give the offensive line an f minus because you can't make chicken salad out of chicken you know what so it's yeah. hard if the guys are not capable of doing something it's not their fault that they can't do it if it had been the regular offensive line that would have been different so i couldn't give them an f minus i haven't okay. given an f minus yet i'm saving that for something really special
1: Am I am I off base by saying the honeymoon is over for D'Amico Ryan's now? Like he's just your he's your he's your average beleaguered head coach trying to figure this thing out now.
2: He is now there should be zero and three coming back here for JJ White Day and Oof. and uh, maybe after that fourth game when they go to Atlanta they'll have two more starting offensive linemen back and they'll only be missing one. That would be the left guard, and ah. I still think there's a good chance that's going to be Jarrett Patterson.
1: Okay. Well, we'll see. Uh, that's We got a long way to go before that, for sure. Uh, two weeks in, and then here are the Texans 0 2 on the season. Two double digit losses so far. All right. Um, John, uh, good stuff as always. Always enjoy it. We will do a mailbag episode this week on Tuesday. I know you'll be ready for that.
2: I'll be ready, and I look forward to it. And thank you very much, Sean. Hope you have a great week.
1: Thank you. You too. Uh, if you want to email the show, for our mailbag episode. I imagine there'll be probably a lot of conjecture and talk and anger and vitriol in some of those emails. That's cool. We read them all. We use a lot of them on the show. H O U mailbag at gmail.com H O U mailbag at gmail.com. So there you go. Texans lose thirty one twenty. It's on to the Jacksonville Jaguars in week two for our producer, James Jackson, who does a great job getting this podcast to each of you, each and every one of you, uh, every week, every episode or three episodes a week, James does a great job. We appreciate him. Click that subscribe button so that when James does get that podcast out, you're getting it automatically. And you don't have to think too much about it. Hit that subscribe button. We appreciate everybody who continues to tune in and tell a friend. Got a lot of compliments from people out at the pregame show today out in the, uh, the outside Bud Light Plaza about people who are downloading and listening to the Utopia Football Podcast. So we appreciate that very, very much. As you can tell from this episode, it is unvarnished, and it is our uh, – Our opinion, as painful as it may be sometimes, no sugarcoating going on on this podcast for sure. Uh, So for James Jackson, our producer, for the great John McClain, the Hall of Famer, I'm Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. We will see all of you for a mailbag episode this Tuesday. Keep the faith, everybody. We'll see you later this week. Thanks for listening.